She just loved good 80s music. Oh, hey, man, I, 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 that's the best decade in the world. I'm so thankful I was born to be a part of the 80s, even though it was on the very end of the 80s. Um, wish I would have been born earlier so I could have got the full spectrum of the 80s, but, man, uh, that decade could make some music. The 90s don't have nothing on the 80s. Um, I, I, that's right. Um, so we are, we're getting to the end of our paradox, uh, paradox is, um, sermons. And so this one, this one took a while. Not because it was of any um, really significant, but it was just, it was tough to, to kind of put it all together, to kind of get you the full spectrum. But I want to go with last week. I want to give you a recap of that. And can I just begin by saying that these last few weeks, I, we, I've had an awesome time preaching and being here, and we've had an awesome time here uh, in time with God. Uh, and and if, you, if you don't think that, then I don't know where you were at. Um, I'm just saying, because it was good. I cannot begin to tell you how amazing it is uh, for, a, for a pastor, especially an inexperienced pastor, uh, to, to see God moving and working in the lives of the people here and in the, in, in the lives of this church as a whole cooperatively. I can, I can just tell you from being here from a, um, a child to a teenager to a member to a, a, an adult to now the pastor, this church has come a very, and I use that in capital words if I was texting, long way um, to see what God has done. Last week we dove into the paradox of being a slave to Christ, and, but yet we're called to be free. And, and in our world today, that term is filled with, it's filled with pain, it's filled with suffering, but if you look at it from a biblical point of view, um, it's so much different than that, so much greater than that. It's because our society has taken that word and it's construed it to mean something derogatory. But as you learned last week, a slave was considered part of the family and it was something that was a person that was taken care of and, and nothing had to be worried about. Now, I'm not saying that they went out and frivolously spent, but if they had bills that were acquired, if they had a debt, the master took care of it. And our master took care of our debt. It was a debt we could not pay, yet our master took care of it. And, and I, now I know a lot of the translators, and boy, my glasses are just smudged. Uh, I can't hardly see that TV back there. And when I put these glasses on, it's a lot worse. Uh, so anyways, I'm sorry. I'm going to clean while I talk. Uh, the translators felt that it, that was a term that would deter readers from really reading the Bible. And I can imagine if you saw the word slave littered more than 150 times written out through a book, it would deter you too. So they misinterpreted it and wrote slave down. Yet the term... But the term slave, it means so much more. And in and, and, and Paul's first address to the Romans, when he goes there, before he has ever considered himself an apostle, before really he ever considers himself a follower of Jesus, he says, hey y'all, I'm Paul, and I'm a slave to Christ. 
I wonder today how many people know who they are before they learn who they are. Last week we learned that somebody does own you. You can try to convince yourself that of something different, but in the reality and the biblical truth is, it's plain and simple. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to, 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 to Christ. And, and you can't serve two masters. You, that's how it, it is. There is no in-betweens. There is no substitutes. There is no other. You either serve one or the other. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. There is no human autonomy. We can't do ourselves. If somebody tells you that they are the captain of their own fate, no, they are not. You don't own your life. I never owned mine. There's no place that we can go. This ain't Islam, and you can't go to Mecca, and Allah will not find out who you are. God knows you all everywhere you go. He knows what you do. So there's nowhere you can run. There's nowhere you can ever escape sin. There's nowhere you can ever escape God from seeing what you do in sin. Sin controls us. What's the crazier thing is not only were you slaves to sin, but you love to sin. No one made us sin. No one tells a child, you know, the first word you need to learn is no. You have to teach them yes. They know no. They know mine. What they don't know is how to share. Rather, we sinned because we wanted to. Not only were we willing participants, but I can remember, as I told you last week, I relished in some of those sins. I even went back to school the next day and talked about them. We refused to give them up. We as believers who, who have seen what God can do, we still say, you know, sin doesn't control us, but it does. And that's the part that we don't understand. None of us really know. The tr fact of the matter is, sin is, has a stronghold. It's strong. There is a reason that every day that you have to walk in the Spirit. There is nothing that you can just go, well, I just need to dab a little Spirit on me like it's cologne. No, you've got to bathe in it because if you don't, sin will infect you some way or the other. But can I tell you, being a slave to freedom is so much better. Paul knew his identity. He, he knew that he had been bought with a price that was far greater than anything he had ever seen, anything that the world had ever seen. He was going to tell the world about Jesus and he was going to tell them about the sacrifice that Jesus made. I wish that we as Christians would get excited about being a slave to Christ. I wish the church would wake up from its slumber and begin to get excited about being a slave to freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the bondage of sin that it has its hold on us. But the problem is, is we're too busy being a society that tries to love the world and love God. Because I can promise you, no matter what anybody tells you, you got a choice. You got a choice. You have the free will, which is a choice to choose God or not. And if you don't believe it, Friday morning I had the choice between raisin toast and Doritos for breakfast. I chose Doritos. 
I had free will. And that raisin toast looked good. I thought, oh boy, I could bring that thing down and I could put it in a toaster, put me a little butter on it, it'd be so good. But them cool ranch Doritos slapped me in the face. And I said, why not eat those? They'll taste so much better. So I sat there and ate a majority of a bag of Doritos. I had free will, and I chose it. You choose every day to do what you want to do. And you have every day to choose sin or not choose sin. And finally, last week, we went into this whole part of, of finally the choice is yours. You're the one that continue to live in and, and wallow in sin and woe and talk about woe is me and talk about, oh, I ain't never going to get out of it. Oh, I'm just, uh, woe is so poor pitiful me. Or you can rise up and hear Jesus calling your name. And you can live in righteousness. Jesus wants you to live in righteousness. God never designed you to live in the world where you didn't live in righteousness, but you choose to live the way you want to live. And so today we're going to talk about holy human. That is probably more considered to be an oxymoron, if anything, meaning two things that we put together like that shouldn't go together because that's like jumbo shrimp. That doesn't go together. Like skinny Baptist pastor. <laughs> doesn't go together. <laughs> I think to do this, you've got to have some, some belly. I mean, it just, it just in the job description. That's right. It's in the job description. But we're called to live a, ri- a life of, of holiness and righteous. But we're still human. And we're born into sin, and there's, there is no shot that, that you can give when you go to, go to the, the pediatrician that you can say, hey, while you're giving him the measles, mumps, and rubella shots, give him the shot to make him do right. My father had a shot, and it was called a belt. And he gave it to me, me quite frequently um, because I was a holy terror. And... and, and we come into this world knowing how to do wrong. We have to be taught to do good. And so, so why would Jesus ever call us to live a life of holiness when we're not born to do right? And that's because Jesus shed his blood so that he could cover us and we could be holy. Well, next, what does it even mean for us to be holy? God told Israel and and to be holy in Leviticus chapter 11 and in 19. And he was instructing them to be different, to be distinct from other nations. Now, in the Old Testament, understand this. You, did, you lived a life of holy by a lot of regulations and a lot of sacrifices. You think beef prices is high now? You wait till all the sacrifice was going on. And not only did you have to sacrifice, but you had to haul that stuff off. It had to be burned a certain way, and you had to shed that blood a certain way. All of that. And he called them to be different from from other nations. And Israel was God's chosen people, and they were supposed to be set apart from all other people, all other people groups. And, And they were his special people, 
And so they were given standards. And Peter goes and he kind of repeats that in, in, in 1 Peter, and he's talking specifically to believers. So now you're talking about the New Testament. Well, God said, no more of this special regulation. No more of this sacrifices. Why? Because y'all are using it as a checklist. Y'all are not living a life set apart. Y'all are thinking that if I go over there and I sin, oh, I'll just kill another animal. It don't matter. God will forgive me. There was no heart behind what they were doing. So God said, I, I can't, no, no. It ain't working. Y'all ain't living a life of holiness. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send my one and only son to be the ultimate sacrifice. And no more will this stuff, I'm going to have to sacrifice this and do that. There it is right there on the cross. So Peter is calling believers in 1 Peter. He's speaking to believers and he's saying, Hey, look, look, believers, you are set apart from the world. He bought you with a price. He set you apart. Now act like, like it and be holy because He is holy. And He sent His Son so that you could be holy. We need to be living by God's standards, not the world's. There's so many churches today that are playing church. There's so many people in church that are playing church. And there again, they're, they're thinking like, like Israel was. Well, if I go to church and I sit through this, this guy's sermon, he's kind of funny, uh, he's kind of goofy, and, and I just kind of nod my head, and, and I drop a 20 in the offering plate, and, and I, I come to small group, and I do all these things. I'm good, it'll cover my sin, right? No, no, no. Where's the heart? Where's the heart? You've you, you got to want to be here because you want to be here. Not because, well, Jeffrey will get mad if I don't. No, I honestly want you to be wherever your heart wants to be. And if your heart don't want to be here, don't be here. But don't come crying, woe is me, woe is me. Because I'm telling you, God is calling you to be here, have a desire to want to be here. When you open your tablet and open up the Word of God or you open up the book and you turn those pages, you should have a desire to turn those pages. You should have a desire. When you talk to the Father, don't throw up lofty prayers because they're blank and they're just, hey God, do this. You should have a desire to talk to your Heavenly Father. There's the difference. There's the set apart versus the world. Because the world thinks they got it. But they don't. And you can fall in that same trap too. And I would sure hate for anybody to get up there on that day and say, hey God, I listed all, and just, boy, you just go to town on listing stuff. I mean, you got six, seven, eight, ten, twelve pages full of stuff you've done. And God says, I don't know you. There was no heart behind it. Desire to live holy. Okay. I'm human, right? We're human. The song said, I'm only human. 
See, the problem with that is, is in the Christian world, we see sin as a mistake. It's like putting too much flour in a cake. You just go, oh, I put too much flour in. We don't see it like an addiction. You're addicted to sin. You need to go to meetings, a.k.a. church. You need to be in the Word. You need to be in constant communication with God. Just like AA, it works if you let it. Jesus works if you allow Him into your life. But we're so desensitized to sin and its destruction that it blocks us from being sold out to Jesus and living this holy life and being this holy human. I want to remind you of somebody and tell you a story, and, and I, I know that this long. That I know that this kind of long, and I know I told Sally. I asked her. I said, "Well, how many slides is that?" And she told me, and it was like an obscene number. Y'all, I just started typing, and this is what what I what came out. So y'all forgive me if you need to go. I understand, but the holiday will wait for me, and, and I, I want to share this because it is really on my heart. So I want to talk about David. David was successful. Y'all know who David was, you know. Slapped a big old giant with a rock, killed him, you know. And, and so, the, but in all that success, David is growing spiritually complacent. He's grow, growing lazy. And in 2 Samuel, David has to stay, decided to stay home. And, and, and he could have been out leading the troops into battle. He could have been being the, the big king that everybody talked about him being. And as he's strolling on the roof, he sees this girl over there, and he's like, mm, hey, how you doing? And she is wearing nothing but her birthday suit, and she's bathing. And David is overcome with lust. And that was his friend's wife. And so he sleeps with her. He gets her knocked up. And to cover it up, David's like, how am I going to fix this? Uriah's obviously going to know because Uriah has been in battle. Well, he's going to, he brings Uriah home and he's like, I'll get Uriah to, to go to bed with her and then when she comes up, she's pregnant, Uriah will never know. But Uriah won't. Uriah is like, I want to be in battle with my people. So he sends Uriah back to the battle and he has Uriah killed. And then David takes Bathsheba and makes her his wife. David thinks that he's gotten away with it, but then God sends Nathan to confront about what he's done, and David confesses what he's done, and God spares David's life, but his son that he had with Bathsheba is going to die. And all this experience becomes a major turning point in David's life. After the sin, David's life is filled with heartache, and David's... Uh, Son, uh, uh, Amon, um, forcefully takes his, his half-sister, Tamar, and then another son, Absalom, in response, murders Amon. And over time, Absalom steals the hearts of the people away from David. And David and, and, to, and conspires to take the throne away from David. And David has to flee for, from his, for his life and returns only to the throne after Absalom has been killed. I want you to think about the chain of events. David was a man after God's own heart. Yep. 
got spiritually lazy and sinned and what was put into motion, not only with the army, but it was a rape, it was a killing, it was murder, it was betrayal, it was, it was insurgent, it was war, and it was exile. All of that stuff. And do you think if David would have known, he would have gone back and done things just to scotch differently? So in response to David's sinfulness, he writes Psalms 51 as a, as a lament. And that word lament means painful prayer. And when you think about painful prayer, I had to look it up and what, and I may be saying it wrong and stuff, I am, whatever. Lament was basically he is wallowing, crying before God what he has done. He is just, he is filled with guilt and, and pain and suffering for the fact that he has wronged God. And, and it's because that we see sin as a goof up rather than sin Separation from God. That's why many times heaven seems so far away. And we're called to be holy, not half-hearted holy. And today we're going to explore this paradox. And we're going to see how we can be holy humans, not half-hearted ones. And so turn with me to 1 Peter. I know y'all were turned over to Psalms 51. Turn, turn with me to 1 Peter. We're going to start in verse 13. And we're going to read all down to all 20 to, to verse 25. I know it's it's a lot, but I want to I want to get this this morning. First Peter 1, 13, starting in verse 13 says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world so that you may live as God's obedient children. Don't sit back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly Father whom you pray to has no favorites. He will judge or reward according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during the time, times here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which loses its value. It was paid by the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God and have placed your faith and hope in God because he has raised Christ from the dead and gave, you, gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show, show sincere love each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever. 
because it comes from eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word, and that word is, is the good news that was preached to you. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I just thank you for this day. God, I just pray that during this time as we begin to open your word and talk about it, God, I just pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds. God, to be able to just understand what it means to, to be called to be holy. And yes, we're human, but we need to get over that and live the life that you have called us to live. God, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. God, I thank you. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The holiness of God. Holiness of God. So we're going to kind of understand and unpack that, and really the holiness of God describes his uniqueness. Now, when you think about the concept of holiness, they connect it with the idea of being morally good. God is holy because he's perfect. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and even richer than that. And what really describes uh, God is how God is the creative force behind the universe. And, and, and I love, to, when, I say, when I talk about God, I love to say that he's the creator of the cosmos. And I love to say that is because we took the boys to um, Space Museum. That's not even what it's called. It's a rocket center. That's what it's called. And we watched the, the planetarium, and it was talking about the planets and stuff. And, and at the very end, they said, well, I want to show you where we are. And they covered this screen that was probably like 95 inches. And they covered it with dots. And they said, those are all the galaxies in the known universe. And they pointed at the very bottom of the screen with a little red dot. And I'm talking about that dot with a light, a pin drop. And they said, that's the Milky Way galaxy. And they kept opening it up. And they said, in that galaxy, there was other galaxies. And they kept opening it up. And eventually, they kept opening and 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 opening until they got to the nine planets. And on the very end, the little bitty planets, that's Earth. And I just begin to cry because all of that still does not understand the creativeness behind God. God did all of that because, I'll be honest with you, you can tell me there's aliens, there's not. Now, some people walking around this earth look like aliens. <laughs> but that is different. But there is, there is not aliens. There are not aliens, I should say the correct, proper grammar. They're not aliens. If they were, we would be reaching out to them spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And nobody has told me to get on a, a rocket ship and go to Mars and spread the good news of Jesus. They're not aliens. But he did all of that. All those extra planets, all that other stuff, just to show you how creative he is. So the Hebrew word for holy means to be set apart. So I want to talk about that. And so kind of an illustration that I, I saw somewhere said, the sun is unique and it's powerful and it's the source of our, our life on planet. 
and the sun is, it, we could say that the sun is holy. No, it's not. And we could also say that the area around it is holy. So the same power and the same goodness that generates life is also dangerous because if you get too close to the sun, bad things happen. We're so far away and we still get sunspots. That's how dangerous it is. This is not because it's bad. It's because it's so good. And you see that same paradox with God. You are impure, and His holiness can be dangerous to you. And it's not because He's bad, it's because He's so good. God is so unique, and and, and that word holy doesn't even begin to describe Him. But that's as close as, as a word that we have to understand who He is. It's kind of like this umbrella term that is used to describe who He is. I can promise you he's so much more than that. In Isaiah 6, the prophet, has, Isaiah has a dream, and he sees the Lord, and he's sitting on a throne, and there's seraphim, and those seraphims are six-winged. Um, that, that's the highest order of angel, and, and their name literally leans to burn, so they burn with God's love. And they're calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. And now they've got six wings, two are covering their eyes, two are covering their feet, and the other two, they're flying around. And they're calling that out, and they're not saying he's holy. They're not saying he's holy, holy. They're saying he's holy, holy, holy. They flew around calling out who God was. And then the seraphim came to Isaiah, and he touched him with a hot coal. Because Isaiah looks up and he sees this this vision and he knows that he's sinful. And the angel touches his lips with coal and says, Isaiah's guilt's taken away and that his sins are atoned for. Isaiah knew of God's uniqueness, but it wasn't until Isaiah saw the vision that he understood who God was. That's our problem. We know of God's uniqueness And we've heard the messages. Maybe you've even felt it somewhere in a message. But you're so desensitized that you're like Isaiah. You need a vision to see who God is. You need to see God lifted up on His throne. You need to see the seraphim flying around Him calling out that He's holy, holy, holy. You need to see, you need to be like Isaiah and be so torn with guilt that you truly see your sinfulness compared to who God is, and you say, I, I, I don't even deserve to even have a, dr- a dream, not even be alone in your presence. But the beauty of all of that is Isaiah felt the guilt. He felt the separation from God. But God transformed him. Jesus, through God, or God through Jesus, however you want to look at it, transforms us when we accept Him. I want to read that in Isaiah, because you don't, you're not going to get the full picture. In Isaiah um, 6, starting in 1, it says, In the year King Uzziah died, then I saw the Lord. So the king has died, the real king has died, or the earth king has died. 
And Isaiah has a dream, and he saw, sees the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, the other two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation. The entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's over. I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I, am, I have filthy lips. I have lived among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he, he touched my lips with it. And he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed. Your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord ask him, Whom should I send as a messenger to its people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah shouts, Send me! I'll go! That's the problem. He has touched your lips with a coal, and he's asking, Who will go for us? And you're saying, Send somebody else! It ain't me. But he's calling to you this morning. He's saying, I bought you with a price. I'm wanting you to go. But if you don't want the blessing, I'll send somebody else. His holiness describes his separation. I tell a story. <laughs> and he's going to kill me. God, he's going to kill me. When Colton was growing up, he was Turtle Man. He went around the house looking for critters, and, and usually it was my dad had to play Neil. Neil was in part of the show. Anybody that played along had to be Neil because he was Turtle Man. And sure enough, you would go someplace in the corner and you would find a critter, and you would, he would grab it, and he would tackle it, and he would throw it into the pillowcase, and, 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 and he would just, yee, 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 live action. <laughs> I remember one time here, he pulled this cover back and said, there's a snake, and we really thought he was serious, but there was not a snake, it was an imaginary snake. He pulled it out, and he put it in the pillowcase, and, 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 but here's the amazing thing. Colton had the ability to see the critter. And of course, and everybody, one of us, we played along, tell him, yeah, you got it, turtle man. When it comes to the Christian faith, a system that is built upon seeing a, a, living your life, surrendering your life to a God you can't see, a God you can't touch or hear, imagination becomes your element. Now, let me give you a brief definition of imagination as it pertains to our faith. Imagination is not the ability to conjure up what is not real, but it's the capacity to see what is real but unseen. God has given us this ability to see physically. I can see you. But also, if you're a believer, he's given you new eyes and a heart to see things that are unseen by the world only, only through spirit. But the problem is sin has caused our imagination to dim. And, and, and what it does is we get this construed idea that God's really not who he is. 
in the world in this false Christianity, and I'm calling, I'm calling, there's some out there, y'all have heard me say it before, that's false Christianity. They preach of God who, who is it and is love, and, and he accepts everyone. It's almost as if God was in the 60s and he was a hippie. And we fall for it. We downplay who God is. Well, God is holy. He's separate. He's set apart. He's just jealous and angry. Our translation comes from the Hebrew word quadosh, which means to cut off. It means to be cut off or separate from everything and everyone else. It means to be in a class of your own, distinct from everything that has ever existed or ever will exist. And quadosh means a second thing. It literally means morally pure. At all times and in every way, at all possible, God is pure. God is, God's holiness is not the aspect of who He is or what He does. It's the very essence of God. If you were to ask God, how is the holiness of God revealed? The right answer would be in every absolute thing that He does. Everything God thinks, desires, speaks, does is utterly holy in every way, in every attribute and in every action. He is holy and just. He is holy in love. He is holy in mercy. He is holy in power. He is holy in His sovereignty. And His sovereignty means that big, long theological word that everybody tries to get scared of. It means He's up here and you're down here and there's nobody above Him. He is holy in His anger. He is holy in His grace. He is holy in His faithfulness. And He is holy in His compassion. He's even holy in His holiness. Exodus 15, 11 and 13 says, Who among the gods, O Lord, gracious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? Who is among like you? You raised your right hand and the earth swallowed our enemies. With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. Who is like you? There's nothing. So our holiness, and I'm going to say this, stop using our human flaw as a crutch. One of our biggest problems with being called to be holy is that we use our sinful, our, our, our human flaw as a crutch to sin instead of building a relationship with God to become more holy. I can promise you that there are so many believers today that I mean that when we sin, and I mean intentionally sin, it seems as a mistake, as a goof up, as a result of our human flaw. Stop using it a way to sin and repent and move on. We need to be a people that is slow to sin, but quick to repent. And it's not our fault. Thousands of preachers in America have downplayed what sin is and how we view it. I can promise you, Joel Osteen will be the biggest one. Creflo Dollar and the rest of them will say, if you sin, it's okay. Just live your best life yet. And they'll squat like they've got to pee or something and just go, it's okay. Because they downplay what sin is. 
It's separation from God. Every time you sin, you are separate from God. And that may be the case, y'all. You may sin, you may, you know, have road rage and and somebody may cut you off or you may stump your toe and, you know, that long word that you forgot about may come out. Sin, you, you sin because you are human, but don't make it an excuse. God called us to be holy. A people set apart, bought by the blood of His Son, ready to fight hell every day. Wake up the world from its slumber. Keep our eyes open to what He's got in store for us. Now I can promise you, when you use that word holy, they think of only the Pentecost have it, and you only get holiness by shouting and hollering. That's not at all what it means to be holy. Holy means you are separate from the world. It means you still live in the world, but you're not of the world. It doesn't mean that you have to live holy you know, living in this hole, only eating bugs and grass. You can still live in the modern world. You don't conform to the world, meaning you don't sin. And it's something that you can't get from self-determination or, or self-will. I'm just, I'm just going to be holy. That's not how it works. Holiness comes from walking with Christ, walking in the Spirit through the Word and communication with God. It's not walking around being Benny Hinn taking your coat and slapping them, going, be healed. That's not what it means. Jesus died so that you could be holy. Jesus died to make you holy. (coughs) Ephesians 5 said Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleansing her by washing her through through the, the Word and being present to her in himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Jesus knew that without holiness no one would ever see God. And he knew that you can't make yourself holy. So Jesus died for what we could not do for ourselves. He suffered and died on a cross to make you holy, to cleanse you of your sins and to present you before himself as part of his radiant church. And I want to say it's not a standard, but it's a reality. It's not a standard, but it's a reality. We often talk about Jesus dying on the cross as for our salvation. But he died on the cross to make us holy as well. Holiness is not the same thing as forgiveness. Forgiveness happens right away. But, but you, in order for you to be holy, you've got you to go through it. You've got to be sanctified. And so justification is a wonderful thing, but, but you've got to be sanctified. You've got to walk through this. It's a process by which you grow in holiness to become more like Christ. That means you literally, for you to become holy, you have got to open up your Bible. And I promise you, you don't get it by osmosis like I used to tell my biology kids. You can put your head on that book all you want, but it will not make you any smarter. 
The only way you're going to get smarter is when you open it up and you read and you understand. It's becoming more and more like Christ. But you still can't do it on your own efforts. Yes, I know. Jesus died to make me holy and you trust him to help you grow. This is where spiritual discipline comes in. Y'all, there will be some days that you don't want to open up your Bible. That's because you're human. Don't use it as a crutch. But that's where spiritual discipline comes in. Like I should have been really disciplined and have free will to go raisin toast, raisin toast, raisin toast. And ate raisin toast. Some days you got to go world, Bible, world, God, world, God, 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 God. I open it up. Sometimes you got to tell yourself. Sometimes you got to open it up and do it. Because God's going to tell you, you want to learn more about me? It don't come by osmosis. Spending more time with God in prayer, enjoying fellowship, serving others. Sir, uh, let me say, serving others. That's taking part in the church. That's doing stuff. That's serving others so in turn you can get served. It works like a two-way street. I serve somebody, somebody serves me. It's sharing your faith. No, it's not going, you shall be saved. I exercise the demons. That's not what it's talking about. But it's talking about, hey man, I, I know you look like you're having a rough time. God loves you, so do I. That looking into somebody's eyes and seeing them other than what they are or who they are, and you see them as another human. It's only that you spend time in, with God and other believers that you grow in your sanctification, in your process of being holy. Yes, it takes effort on your part, and Hebrews 12 says, make every effort to be holy. But you ultimately got take all your efforts, everything about you, and you put them at the feet of Christ, and you say, okay, God, God make me holy. Only when, when Christ has changed your heart will you find yourself growing in holiness. But I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't happen overnight. And if anybody tells you that it does, they're wrong. I'm sorry. Holiness is a lifelong process. And long, until you become face-to-face with the one that rescued you, will you ever be perfect, and holy. Until then, you just got to add to it. It's easy to get discouraged. I get discouraged. And I don't get discouraged with this. I get discouraged with me. I told Joey this morning I'm having, I was having a difficult time today. It's nothing anybody's done. It's just difficult. And it's because Sometimes I love the, the disease, and I know I'm talking about it, and if you get tired of me talking about it, just do this. I, sometimes I love the disease because it allows me to rely on somebody else's strength but my own, but sometimes I feel like all I am is the disease. I feel like that's all that I am, and that's, that's me. That's not y'all. That's me. That's, what, that's me. that's me having to, to feel like a robot being hooked up to a machine or being a, a pin cushion and somebody, you know, doing that. that that's just the way I feel. And today was one of those days that I just said, I'm tired of it. 
I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. And I was ill this morning. I was ill at my wife. And it was nothing that she done. It was mean. And you get discouraged. You just get tired and worn. And it's a good time to remember this. To remember this. That God promised each and every one of you, not just me. God promised you and you and you. That if he said, if I start a good work in you, I'm going to finish a good work in you. And we got to be confident in that. we got to be confident. And we got to confidently, with boldness, approach the throne of grace. Sometimes we come to God and we're like, Hey, God. Hey, it's me. Hi. You know, do you think you could? No, you are a believer. You confidently approach the throne of grace and say, Hey, God, I'm having a bad day. The world is kicking the crap out of me. Can you make me holy? Can you work in me? Can you do something with that person because I'm going to lay hands on them and not in a holy way? Can you do something because I'm struggling? And you know the best thing I can tell you, and I know I'm going long, is listen to Christian music. This morning I got up and I listened to some Christian rap and it was going in my headphones. And I said, yeah! But then I come up here and I got aggravated and remembered it was myself and I was just... So I probably should listen to it the whole time and get myself ready. But then y'all didn't want me to rap. But I can tell you, I just want to read Philippians 1.6. six. said, I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day Christ Jesus returns. I want to close with this. I want to close with this. I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself these questions, and these are rhetorical questions. Rhetorical means I don't need an answer. Okay, you answer it in your head with God. I want you to ask yourself, how am I living? Just like that, how am I living? With your head turned to the side, how am I living? Really ask yourself, how are you living? It's a serious question. You need to ask yourself, am I living holy? And if the answer is, is no, I'm not, can I just tell you that you're called? God is calling you to choose him, to be set apart, because he has a special race for you to run. I can't run it. I have to run my own race. <laughs> God said that you're holy because he is holy. He's created you in his image. And the choice is yours. He's not going to force himself on you, but he, he's going to stand at the door and he's going to knock. But can I tell you, eventually he's going to knock. And if he doesn't get an answer... He's going to turn you over to the world. He's going to turn you over to your desires. He's going to say, I guess they don't really want me, so I'm going to give you what you want. God wants you to choose him, but he's going to say, if you want the world, I love you enough to give you the world. But just remember, when that day comes, 
It's nobody's fault but yours. And so like Dan last week, don't worry about how people view your decision because that's your decision. That's not theirs. They've got to make their own decision. Because if you don't know that you don't know that you know or if heaven seems closed off, get the door open. And if you're a believer but you've not lived in the holiness that God has offered, today is the day that you do so. And the second question is, is how do you view sin? Because if you view sin or if we view sin as a mistake or a goof up or this ordinary occurrence, then you've been blurred to what sin is. Sin is separation from God. And you've got to stop viewing it as this human flaw that it's something that we, we do and you've got to view it as something like what David did. Once David realized what I've done, he lamented. He cried out to God in pain saying, God, forgive me. We just expect God to forgive us. Guess what? He don't have to because that's how holy he is. But also, he's holy in his forgiveness that he will forgive you. He does forgive you. Don't take it for granted. Like Isaiah, you should see ourselves compared to God and go, mm, and, and feel the guilt that sin has caused us, but desire to be made pure. Would you stand with me this morning? Have a shout out or prayer request? Comment on this video or send us a message. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for more information and daily encouragement. Thank you so much for joining us.